Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 239. Well, just ahead, Alphabet puts up a great quarter, but what's up with search? Plus advanced micro devices, number two in AI chip making. But is that enough? And a fascinating conversation with Personnelist CEO Chris Hall as the company's cancer recurrence test passes some important milestones. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more and get 20% off if you use our link, Braintrust.com slash drill down. I'm Futurum's Chief Market Strategist, Corey Johnson. Welcome to the 6-5 Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks and Move. Joining me on the mic today, Ben Wilson, who's been with us from the start. Ben, glad to yes, have you. Yes, I am. And boy, isn't it an exciting time for the drill down, isn't it, Corey? Yeah, we've launched a second show. We're still putting it out on this feed. Uh, that won't always be the case, but uh, looking at earnings and kind of quick breaking news on earnings. We'll continue to cover some earnings here today, as you're about to hear. And of course, we'll have the big, long interview here. I think this is, to me, this is the perfect podcast for a commute. As you know, it's about 30 minutes long. The average commute's about 30 minutes or so. But, uh, you know, the the other podcast right there for breaking news on all the socials. And yes, if you want to see us, that can happen with the Drill Down Earnings on on uh, Instagram, on YouTube, and yes, on TikTok. Exactly. This is the perfect no podcast link for your commute. There will commute. be no dancing. I don't know, Corey. I think the world wants to see you dancing on TikTok. It's not going to happen. Well, we'll see. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down today? Let's start with Alphabet, big one. Alphabet trades with the ticker Goog. You'd think ABC, no, of course you'd think about Google, has a market cap of about 1.8 trillion. Shares were down 6% the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 42%, so not insignificant at all. What's the story with Alphabet, and can you sing the Alphabet backwards? I, um, what am I getting pulled over here? <laughs> Isn't that one of the things the police say when you get a, when they get you know, they pull you over for drunk driving? I would just know. want to make sure your uh, podcast driving's sober. Yes, I am. I am. I always do the podcast sober and driving for that matter. In any case, uh, <laughs> fourth quarter results from Alphabet: uh, revenues up fourteen percent year over year, eighty six billion dollars, such a big number. Operating profits of twenty four billion, margins of twenty seven percent on the operating side, better than last year's twenty four percent. And while uh, ad sales picked up. They were actually down a year ago um, uh, over the, you know, from the prior COVID year when numbers are really big. But ad sales up 11% for Google, the, the the biggest business within Alphabet. But just 11% wasn't seen as enough uh, because despite robust growth in other sectors, uh, not great. That caused the stock to sell off right after earnings were announced. But you'd think, you know, you'd think their, their conference call would have been about what everyone would talk about all the time, AI. And hey, a lot of the conference call was, but specifically the question was asked, if people are taking their queries to chat GPT instead of Google, what does that mean for the business of Google search? And could the slight weakness that we saw in Google search actually represent customers switching away to chat GPT owned by OpenAI, not owned by Google, and away from Google? And what is the effect of generative AI on search? Here's Alphabet CEO Sundar Pakai. Look, we think about effects on search, uh, you know, obviously more broadly. Uh, people have a lot of information choices. And so uh, 
and user expectations are constantly evolving. Uh, and so we, we've been doing this for a long time. And I think what ends up mattering is a, a, a strong, continuous track record of innovation. Uh, obviously, generative AI is uh, is is a is a new tool in the arsenal, uh, but there's a lot more that goes into search, the breadth, the depth, uh, the diversity across verticals, the ability to follow through, uh, getting actually access to rich, diverse sources of content on the web, and putting it all together uh, in a compelling way. And I think uh, through the year two, when we test, we test search generative experience, particularly. Uh, against everything that's out there, and you know, we can see uh, the progress we are making and how much users are liking the experience better. Uh, and so, I think you know, feel very good about the progress, and uh, and our roadmap for uh, 24 uh, is strong, uh, both on the search and the underlying um, AI progress, including the models. So, I'm pretty excited about what's ahead of us in 24. So he's excited. They've got a new product coming out. Maybe it'll be great. Google tends to do products pretty well. But uh, right now, it does seem that ChatGPT has got a lead on these guys, um, and Google hasn't quite caught up. And uh, maybe that's what we're seeing in the only 11% growth number uh, in Google search. Yeah. Well, if something changes, it wouldn't be the first time Google had to come from behind and develop a search yeah. engine to the top. Low and steady wins the race. Corey, what's your next drill down? Hey, let's look at advanced micro devices. Advanced micro devices, better known maybe by its ticker and abbreviation AMD with a market cap of about $271 billion. Shares were down 12, uh, excuse me, shares were down 6% in the last week, same as Google, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 123%. Um, as we said last week, zoinks. What's the story with AMD? Did I tell you a listener uh, who has my phone number? texted me over the weekend zoinks because we used that phrase <laughs> last week when we were talking about service now but yeah 123 percent growth from amd oh my god what a year for this company so they announced fourth quarter numbers amd sales up 10 percent year reader 6.2 billion dollars gross margins 51 percent flat from last year operating income at just 300 million dollars so not a hugely profitable quarter but you know we're we're, we're looking at semiconductors right now kind of in a dip and how are they going to come out now, importantly, this is a business that is uh, focused on AI uh, and selling chips into data centers. Yeah, their data center business was up 38%, $2.3 billion. Their client revenue that's selling to personal computers up 62%. Their AMD Ryzen 8040 chip, hot, hot, hot. But uh, I think the big question hanging over all this is whether or not AMD can start to steal some share from NVIDIA in the data center graphic processor unit sales and GPU business. NVIDIA, after all, probably has about 90% of the business. So AMD's only number two, but they've got about 5% of the business. So is there room to grow? Sure, but are they doing it? Well, here's AMD's CEO, Lisa Sue. You know, I, I would say um, a couple things. First of all, uh, we're really pleased with the progress that we've made in our data center GPU business. Um, I think the uh, the ramp that we've seen, the customer traction that we've seen, even um, in the last few months, I think has uh, has been great, and um, that gives us a lot of confidence in the ramp of this business. I think the beauty of the you know AI market here is it's growing so quickly that um, I think we have both the market dynamic as well as our ability to gain share 
um, in that uh, framework. Um, the point I will make is, you know, our customer engagements right now um, are all quite strategic, um, you know, dozens of customers with uh, multi-generational conversations. So as excited as we are about the ramp of MI300, and frankly, there's a lot to do um, in 2024, um, we're also very um, excited about the opportunities to extend that um, into the next um, couple of years, um, you know, out into that, uh, you know, 25, 26, 27 timeframe. So I think we see a lot of growth. I think it's a little early to make uh, market share projections, but I would say it's a a uh, significant growth driver given the market um, demand as well as, you know, our own, you know, product uh, capabilities. So they're not making any predictors in terms of market share, but it sounds like they're making a lot of chips and that uh, MI300 uh, really pushing uh, to get that chip in all the places, even if it's just as a backup. Uh, you ever, uh, Ben, you ever hear the song, the Joe Jackson song, uh, Be My Number Two? Uh, no, but it sounds like something that would come up in a conversation a lot. It's a fantastic tune. So the lyrics go from like, won't you be my number two? Because me and number one are through. There won't be too much to do. Just smile when I feel blue. It's a rebound song. AMD's number two. Not so bad. <laughs> I love that comparison, Corey. That's so funny. All right. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Qualcomm. Qualcomm trades with the ticker QCOM with a market cap of about $166 billion. Shares were down 4% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 11%. What's the story with Qualcomm? Well, uh, really important chip maker here, since we're in the chip making world. Uh, sales up 5% year over year to record $9.9 billion earnings before taxes, up 13% to $3.6 billion dollars. Earnings per share, whatever, 16%. I don't usually look at earnings per share because it's not really important unless you're a shareholder. But there was a big announcement on the conference call. Not a surprise, but a formal announcement that Qualcomm has signed a deal with Samsung to continue to provide chips for Samsung phones. I don't think there's any suggestion they were going to go away from that. Uh, indeed, the, the partnership's 25 years old right now. But uh, to have that formal announcement during a conference call, not a small deal. Qualcomm's Cristiano Oman talking about the duration of that deal. On the conference call, the agreement that we that we announced uh, at this earnings call it is a multi-year agreement. Um, we're not disclosing the duration, but there are several years and in, into that agreement. And I think your um, observation is correct. I think that starts at 2024. I think you should look at the launch of the of Galaxy S24 as a good proxy on how you should think about. Uh, the agreement between us and Samsung. But most important is the thing that you outline. Our roadmap's getting stronger over time, uh, especially with our custom CPU coming to mobile and we're aiming to have the leadership position in the mobile performance on CPU. Um, and our NPU continue to expand as we're, as I mentioned before, we're just at the beginning of the Gen AI transition. I think in summary, we're very pleased with our relationship with Samsung, and it's a very long-term relationship with this customer. And, you know, I don't want to bury the lead here. This is really about AI coming to devices, so going away from the cloud and going on devices. And it looks like we're going to start to see some chips in phones that are doing AI in 2024 on the high end, um, certainly by 2025. Uh, so AI is going to be everywhere. Well, you buried the lead as if AI hadn't changed enough already. All right, well, let's take a real hard turn here. Cancer patients go through hell. 
I think, unfortunately, a lot of us know that. But uh, that might give some context for uh, our next CEO, because his business has been through hell. Not as bad as cancer, uh, certainly. But uh, his business has really gone through a lot, even existentially. Uh, but our, our guest uh, personnel CEO, Chris Hall, has a really interesting story about cancer genomics um, and an interesting story about his company surviving. And we'll have that next. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. Hi, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by Chris Hall, the CEO of Personalis, a fascinating company at a fascinating time. Uh, and Chris, we're really glad to have you on the Drill Down. Um, how do you describe um, what your company does in, in in casual conversation when you're the, 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 yeah. the elevator? It's always pitch, tough right? with a with a with a with a science with a science based uh, yeah. product. But we're but at, but at the core, what we do at Personalis is we're able to see more from a cancer tumor than what's otherwise been able to see. So we partner with pharmaceutical companies, we partner with doctors and and, and patients, mm-hmm. and we partner with the personalized therapy industry in order to see more comprehensively a cancer tumor to be able to drive more insights in clinical trials, helping to help helping a patient see a cancer recurrence ahead of anything that they've been able to do before. We're helping to a personalized cancer therapy company develop a, a personalized therapy that might make a difference in their trajectory of their cancer therapy. So that's what we do is we allow, we, we see more from a cancer biology, or more, more from a cancer tumor than what's been seen before. And this is principally a, a diagnostic science. It's not so much a treatment. It's not a medical device. That's right. We're a diagnostic company. Uh, we grew out of um, some academics at Stanford that uh, and some of the some of the pioneers in sequencing that were really focused on how do I get more <laughs> out of doing out of sequencing um, sequencing cells and sequencing tumors. And uh, we take samples. We take tissue from patients. And we take tissue, you know, from from pharmaceutical trials, et cetera, and we return results to physicians and partners. So it's a service-based diagnostics model, and uh, we don't actually do the therapies ourselves. Well, is there a particular cancer that uh, that uh, gives you a, a better chance of success as you start to prove out this concept? Yeah, so we we focus very much the company on um, on this part of the market called MRD finding finding. Uh, residual disease after treatment. So you can imagine for so many cancer patients, they've received treatment uh, and they are um, start this process of doing uh, imaging to see whether or not the cancer is recurred. And the problem with imaging is that when you actually can see it in an ultrasound machine, it's already maybe a one centimeter mass. It's already the tumor is back. And at that point, it's already pretty aggressive, especially on a recurrence. And so the hunt for finding disease in the blood has been a journey of asking the question from, from circulating tumor cells from the tumor, you know, so the tumor sheds some cells, could we actually see cancer well ahead of imaging and possibly intervene in the patient to be able to get them therapy that could save their life? Uh, and even knowing that a patient didn't have a recurrence means we might be able to avoid doing some some toxic ther- therapies or surgeries that we would otherwise do just because we were flying blind. And so we picked a couple of diseases to focus our technology. We're an ultra-sensitive approach. So we've gone with a whole genome approach, which is a wide footprint, 
and we build a personalized profile based on what we see of the tumor of 1,800 variants. And we focused on early stage lung cancer and breast cancer to prove the technology. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Those diseases are tough to see in the blood. They don't shed a lot of DNA. So it's almost like- but I why would you pick like, one that's so much harder? It would seem like you'd want to pick one that does shed a lot of DNA so you could detect it and prove that the science works. Yeah, we wanted to be able to, to hit a part of the market where we could um, lead. We could be first to market to see uh, the cancer ahead of anything else and actually you know, profoundly impact the patient experience and, and hopefully uh, save lives and, 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 um, and be a market leader. So we picked those indications. Uh, we got great data suggesting that we could find a recurrence of, of cancer almost up to a year ahead of imaging and early stage lung cancer, which would be a profound leap forward for patients. And we're building data in breast cancer. So we think we're on the right the right path and starting with a part of the market that's that's one of the more challenging spots. And quite frankly, that's where a lot of the patients are. And I think you always in the diagnostic business want to be providing insight where there's a lot of darkness and a lot of grayness and hoping to illuminate the path with your technology. And that's what we're focused on doing. With breast cancer in particular, there's been so much work done uh, and really uh, <laughs> wonderful work that's really helped uh, change lives, preserve lives, and uh, lengthen lives. Um, but the, there's also very different types of, of cancers lumped into, no yep. pun intended, uh, lumped into breast cancer. And I right. wonder if, if you if you go after certain targets within that um, or we just do. literally all types of breast cancer. I mean, we're building data across all types of breast cancers because the truth is when a physician's using a product, it's, you know, it's, they end up wanting to use it oftentimes all comers in a, inside of a practice. But we're really focusing on triple negative uh, breast cancer patients. That's the most aggressive form. Uh, that's the, the cancer that physicians and patients are often flying blind without a lot of comprehensive information. So we do a lot of therapies and a lot of procedures that, you know, we just do because we don't exactly know whether it's gone. And so we assume it's not. And, and we, and we really treat aggressively. And so we think there's an opportunity to, to uh, potentially deescalate patients there from a therapy and, and save the healthcare system money and also her two positive patients. We've worked with a couple of different institutions. We're building data, Dana Farber in, uh, in Boston on her two positive patients. And then, um, a group in, uh, in France, Curry Institute on triple negative breast cancer. Then we actually have a prospective clinical trial where we're enrolling patients in a triple negative breast cancer study um, to be able to, to build a deep reservoir of data. But those are really, that's really where the unmet needs the strongest. Uh, right. That's really where we're, that's really where enormous we're markets. Enormous markets. I mean, definitely uh, a, a big enough market to keep us all busy at personnel is for, for quite a while here. So talk to me about um, uh, what the most important milestones you need to reach in the next six to 18 months are. Yeah. So we just, we just had a couple big milestones for the company that we passed. Uh, we had in, um, in Spain, we presented data that suggested that an ultra sensitive approach in lung cancer could really make a difference. And that was at a conference at ESMO with a collaboration with a prospectively gathered MRD trial called TracerX Global Trial in London with one of the, 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 the most influential thought leaders in lung cancer. And that data created quite a stir among partners and collaborators mm -hmm. and doctors. And so having data and showing, and, and showing the efficacy of the approach was one big milestone we crossed. The second milestone we crossed was finding a commercial partner. Um, so we are going to partner with a lab in Chicago called Tempest Labs. 
And Tempus is um, is a large oncology based company that works with oncologists around the around the around the country, providing a comprehensive suite of tests and, and analytic services. And will be their tissue informed MRD assay. And so that gives us access to a few hundred sales reps to be able to bring the story out to doctors. And so we're we're focusing we focused on that. So those are two big sort of milestones that we crossed. But the next big milestone for the company is receiving Medicare reimbursement. And we are, this is year 2024 is a year of building data, stitching it together and submitting it uh, for, uh, for, for coverage. And once we get Medicare coverage, uh, that, then we'll start the journey with private payers and we'll begin uh, increasing our commercial traction with our partner Tempus and building more energy and usage uh, in the field because we'll be getting paid for the testing that we're doing. We're currently actually are – Launched, we have launched the test as a laboratory-developed test, and we are seeing patients and samples every day coming in here. Uh, but we just don't get paid a whole lot early in the commercial journey when you're in the diagnostic industry. So we're working in an early access program. But over as we go and we build evidence and we get reimbursement, we'll we'll, um, we'll increase our efforts. Yeah, how do you imagine how much you'll charge for it, and what's right, and where you can make some money and make back some of the investment you put in over the years? Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, I think the pricing still coming, still coming together. Uh, but the Medicare reimbursement for this for this type of of approach currently, with some of the other players in in, in the industry, are the high six thousand, low seven thousand dollar mark for a set of four four tests, both the baseline test that builds the personalized you know um, personalized assay, and then tracking it for a few times after that. Um, and we think we can get a premium to that because we think this is a premium-based uh, approach. But even even that six to seven thousand dollar mark, we high six, low seven thousand dollar mark, will the company will be and have gross margins in the low sixty percent, and uh, and we feel like our, it's a great spot to be able to have a nice return for investors. But we think ultimately there's tremendous value, and uniquely with an ultra sensitive approach, being to de-escalate patients and save the healthcare system money, and there's value to be captured there. Do you, do you imagine that that there's a future, you know, decade now from now, or whatever, where there, where you can match the the analysis that you do with personalized medicines that that makes it more of an ongoing and a longer duration sort of testing environment? No, absolutely, ab- absolutely. One of the really so there's two really exciting, interesting um, trends going on in cancer right now, and personalized is in the middle of both of them. We've been talking about MRD and this using uh, data to be a dashboard at the individual patient level. But we're also working with what was what's the personalized therapy market or personalized cancer vaccine market, um, where was one of the early ways that we had, we deployed our, our sequencing technology. And those companies under, use our technology to understand the biology, then build a personalized therapy for the patient, and then give that therapy to the patient. And the most high-profile partner that we have there is Moderna. Where they have had a, a drug that they um, that they've been working on and is now in uh, I think phase what phase phase three or phase two or three or whatever for melanoma, uh, the first data was phenomenal uh, in our partnership with Merck, uh, where they use their personal cancer vaccine that's personalized for the patient uh, to be able to uh, to be able to improve the therapeutic response. And so you can imagine certainly, you know, creating a personalized snapshot of the patient's tumor, monitoring it over time, and then the therapeutic industry using that information to be able to produce a personalized therapy and then ultimately monitor. So we do think all these trends are 
are potentially, you know, able to come together in really cool and interesting way for the patients and really giving people hope. I mean, this is really about, you know, making a difference at the end of the day and the way cancer is managed so that if either you or I um, ever end up uh, super sick, that um, these technologies will be available for us uh, at some point, our family and our and our friends and kids. Where? Where are you in, the, in in your cash journey? How how long is your runway, and, and how do you start to evaluate what kind of decisions you'll make to get more cash when you need it? Yeah, so we we um, I, I became CEO a year ago, about a year ago, and we we focused in on our cash management given this climate um, and and reducing the amount of cash that I mean, we well, need me, to be able to drive. I'll have, I'd rather having me to describe the climate, and I could, which is to say, biotech companies. Companies can't raise anywhere anyway, but what's your, okay, better you describe the environment. Yeah, it's not, it's, it has not been the, the, the most, you, you just said it really well. It's, uh, it's been a tough climate. We, fortunately, we had, we had, a, we've had a decent amount of money and had investors that, 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 that believed in the vision early on and have funded us. We currently have, um, north of, uh, well, well north of a hundred million dollars in the bank and we brought the burn down dramatically. This last year was another, you know, big effort that we, that we made and uh, we have enough cash to get us into 2026. And for us, that was important because we wanted to have enough cash to get the Medicare reimbursements in the rearview mirror, which is a big, a big vector and, and driver of, of the company. And so we think we're, we've got the capital that we need right now to, to, to push the company forward. I would note, you know, we're, we have seven, we did 73 and north of $73 million revenue in 2023. We pre-announced, uh, we pre-announced the year, um, and uh, you know the company has been working with many of the top biopharma companies, and we partnered with 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 um, with Natera and the VA to help power some of their programs. And so, companies you know well along being a commercial stage company with a couple really interesting things that could be transformational for cancer. Yeah, it's it's got a, it's an interesting challenge. I, I always tell our listeners and, and our uh, uh, guests as well that. We're not going to talk about stock price, and but I, I and I'm going to break that rule a little bit. So you're because the company's trading about uh, under one time sales, as you mentioned, and I, I'm not so much interested in the stock as an investment. Other right. people would be. I'm not involved in the company or anything. But I, but I wonder what it's like to be managing comp- a company that was once worth a billion dollars and is worth so much less right now as you're getting so much further along in the process. Um, and yeah. and what that does that make any tangible difference? in the way you run your business and the motivation of your employees and people who've been there a long time and, and how that feels yeah. to them no, and, I, and how it manages it, them. They're getting pissed off in their commute or whatever way that <laughs> materializes itself. I think it's fair. I mean, um, so I've been here, you know, not, 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 not when the, I didn't go through the, wasn't here when it was a billion dollar market cap. So I don't know that I can sort of em, empathize exactly with that journey, but certainly many of our, our, our of our employees have, have been there. I mean, I think the truth is that many of us, and certainly me, we're here to make a difference. And I think as you build these businesses by brick by brick and patient by patient and doctor by doctor and partner by partner, you just got to focus on that. And there are good times and and then in the market and there are bad times in the market. But, you know, I, I really believe that if you spend your life staring at the stock price all day, um, it'll just, it'll, it'll, it's highly distracting and certainly can be demoralizing. And, uh, I always think of this as like, if you have a cup full of coffee and, and you, uh, you fill it up and it's, it's hot and you start walking forward. If you stare at that coffee cup, as you walk, you will spill it all over yourself. So you kind of got to point the direction and just, you know, walk and, 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 uh, and know that you're doing the right things and we're doing all the right things, building this business. I've been building these companies for a couple decades and, 
Uh, we've got something that's really special here at Personalis in our technology, and we're starting to to see that come together. And the data is looking great, and we've got a great sense, a great group of partners. And so we focus on uh, we focus on delivering that every day, and uh, and the rest will come together. I really believe that, Corey. Nobody's rooting against you, that's for sure. Chris Hall, the CEO of Personalis, thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, it. Coming up next, the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot more about Personalis. The Drill Down is brought to you by Futurum Group, where analysts, researchers, advisors, content creators, and marketing experts help business leaders anticipate and understand shifts in their industries and build strategies to leverage disruptive innovation. With deep analysis, Futurum Group's extensive industry experience delivers reliable research and data, thought leadership, and actionable advice to help you with your strategy and go-to-market efforts. Futurum Group. And we are back with the drill down bite. One number that tells us a whole lot. That number, Ben, is 6 to 11. 6 to 11 isn't a number, is it? It depends on how you count. I mean, 6,211 would be a number, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a range of 6 to 11. Because patients receiving personnel's next personal DXLDT genomics test were able to detect the recurrence of lung cancer 6 to 11 months ahead of cancer detection from standard imaging according to Tracer X data, which is kind of the gold standard for uh, cancer testing. So six to 11 months ahead of when they would have found out about a recurrence in cancer. Uh, so they can get to that treatment before the cancer tumor gets to be something uh, unmanageable. Really important. All right, well, thank you for listening to Future Homes, The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Thanks to Ben Wilson, our fabulous co-host and our editor extraordinaire. Future Homes, The Drill Down is a production of 6.5 Media.